Welcome to the Scott Ross Discipleship Podcast. Scott has been discipling men and women for more than 20 years and is passionate about helping you grow into the full measure of the maturity of Christ. Grab your Bible, something to write with, and your favorite warm beverage, and let's listen as Scott takes us deeper in our walk with God. Uh, Continuing our study in pneumatology, the doctrine of the Holy Spirit, and we are uh, getting closer and closer to wrapping up the survey we've been doing of the Holy Spirit as revealed in the Old Testament, as we've said, that most Protestant believers, at least, when they think of the the new or they think of the Holy Spirit, they think of the Holy Spirit beginning with Acts chapter two, and they think of all of the things that we discuss as you know, fun or not so fun controversies around things like tongues and baptism of the Holy Spirit and all of those things that are from New Testament theology. But in actuality, the Holy Spirit, obviously being the third person of the Trinity, has existed for eternity and uh, was very active in creation as we've already understood and seen and was revealed progressively throughout the Old Testament. And so um, we've been in the wisdom books. We're about to wrap up the wisdom books and I think we will be uh, wrapped up with the Old Testament next week if I'm not mistaken because we're going to get pretty far this week if we're we're able to clip through this like I think we should. So um, when we left off, we were talking about this Holy Spirit is revealed in the wisdom books. And um, this is just a little summary. Um, in Proverbs, the word spirit occurs 10 times. We've said that the one of the most common words in Hebrew used for Holy Spirit or used for spirit is ruach, which is also breath. And uh, that occurs seven times in Proverbs. One is nepes and one is nesama. And the meaning varies from an attitude to the majority references to the innermost being of the human person synonymous with what Proverbs calls the heart. And so this is important because as we're going to see, there's this um, connection that you cannot separate the Holy Spirit and the spirit of man. And that the Old Testament's making it very clear that the energizing force for the creation and for the sustaining of the creation is the Holy Spirit, and that God breathed his breath into man. And so man's very existence is connected to the Holy Spirit. So um, just as an example of that idea of the innermost person being spirit, this is Proverbs 20, 27, the lamp of the Lord searches the spirit of a man, it searches out his inmost being. If we continue further looking at the examples of spirit in the old te- or in the wisdom books, we have Ecclesiastes and Job. Um, Job we've mentioned, and I'm not going to read through all of these, but um, Job is very, very significant in the theology of the Holy Spirit because this is where Job. Um, there are several references in Job that mention the fact that if the Holy Spirit was to be taken from a person, that their very life would cease to exist. Again, making this connection between the Holy Spirit and the spirit of man. Um, John 4, 23, 24 says, An hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Yes, the Father wants such people to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and in truth. Now, does anybody recognize where this comes from? Let me remember what's going on here. Correct. So um, this connection between the human person and the Holy Spirit 
is going to become very critical here when we get into the New Testament. And the reason I'm bringing this up is when we read this as New Testament believers, what most of us think about is, oh, there's this um, esoteric uh, understanding of God that he's spirit, and so we have to be real spiritual in how we worship him. That's the way we really worship him is we worship him in spirit, like not physically. But watch what her response is because her response shows us there's something deeper going on here. She says, I know the Messiah is coming who is called the Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Jesus told her, I, the one speaking to you, am he. Now, what's the significance here? The significance is that we can get wrapped up in thinking that the Holy Spirit and us worshiping in spirit is this kind of out-of-body type experience, that it's, it's separated from who we are physically, but that's not what's going on. What she understands is that the Holy Spirit represents the very essence of God and that where God is located, that's where the Holy Spirit is as well. And so if we're going to worship God, we're going to worship Him where He is, meaning the Messiah who comes, we're going to be connected to Him like in a physical proximity relationship. Here's one of the uh, scholars' quotes on this idea. She, meaning the woman at the well, did not conceive the word spirit in the modern sense of idealistic philosophy, but in the Old Testament sense. God is ruach. He is breathing the breath of life into man. That is, he is present active, granting a new vitality. And those who worship him must worship him in his ruach, i.e. there, where his active presence is at work and truth in his emet, his faithfulness to his covenant, his acting according to the promises which he gave through his prophets, that in the last days the Spirit, through the Messiah, will be poured out on all flesh." God is now to be worshipped in the place where he is present, i.e. in him who is the truth incarnate. So it's not a matter of, you know, like we think about spirit and we want to connect it to something like heart or like soul or like mind. But that's actually, it's act, the Holy Spirit is actually represents every aspect or impacts every aspect of humanity, every aspect of of a person's life. And so when in the Old Testament wisdom books, it's talking about this breath of a human and the Holy Spirit as the breath and the connection there, what it's saying is that the Holy Spirit is what's vitalizing the entire essence of, pers of a person, the entire being of a person. Does that make sense to you guys? Yes, no? Yes. So then when we think about the Holy Spirit today, a lot of what we think about is spiritual formation, like becoming, uh, going through the process that we would call sanctification. The sanctification process is growing into Christ's likeness, growing into being an imitator of God, as we are commanded to. So we actually start to see spiritual formation take place in the wisdom books or be represented or reflected in the wisdom books for the first time in the Old Testament. The Lord's lamp sheds light on a person's life searching the innermost parts. Verse 27 of, of Proverbs 20. Now this is a, the context of this is a verse directly above it, which says, even a courageous person's steps are determined by the Lord. So how can anyone understand his own way? We have 
recognition that true wisdom comes from the Holy Spirit illuminating the innermost parts of man and that man being connected to that understanding that's been revealed to him. The Lord's lamp sheds light on a person's life, searching the innermost parts. How can anyone understand his own way? Easy. The Lord's lamp or the Holy Spirit is what's going to reveal the innermost parts of a man. In Job, we saw this as well. It is the spirit in a person, the breath from the Almighty, that gives anyone understanding. And then, and by the way, we see all three here, right? We see the spirit in a person, the breath from the Almighty, and then the connection to wisdom or understanding. This kind of reminds me of this verse, Colossians 1.9. Paul prays this, For this reason also, since the day we heard this, we haven't stopped praying for you. We are asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding. So being filled with the Spirit is connected to being wise. Having the Holy Spirit reveal your innermost self is connected to knowing how you should operate in a way that's going to be pleasing to God. This language is used for the equipping of particular Israelites for special tasks such as constructing the tabernacle. We already talked about that before. And it's a gift of the Spirit, and it is legitimate to equate great examples of embodied wisdom with being, quote, filled with the Spirit. So, this is a very famous passage, Proverbs 31. Who knows of the Proverbs 31 woman, as she's referred to, right? Um, I think most men should aspire to be as good as this woman is, too. So, um, you know, what's interesting is that this is a woman who is praised for her godly character. That's what she's praised for. Beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord, she is to be praised. But yet, what is the description of this woman? It doesn't talk about praying. It doesn't talk about worshiping. It doesn't talk about fasting. It doesn't talk about keeping the commandments. What does she do? She is a very, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? She's, 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 she's business savvy. She's very industrious is the word I was looking for. She's industrious. She is someone who parents well, she's, who uh, walks alongside her husband well. All of these things are very practical things, correct? We don't see anything in here that you would call spiritual. So why is it that this is a woman who is held up as someone who's an example of being spiritual, that is to be praised for her spirituality. Well, it's because in the Old Testament and in the wisdom literature, of which Proverbs is wisdom literature, it's exactly what spirituality looks like. The Holy Spirit is what enlivens and equips every aspect of someone's life. So, a person who has wisdom, a person who is filled with the Spirit, this would be a part of the byproduct of that. Does that make sense? So many of us, we compartmentalize, and especially this happens in our modern day. You know, we've compartmentalized uh, people who are, say, in vocational ministry as being somehow more super Christians than everyone else. Right? Like, oh, well, if, 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 I was a, if I was a pastor, I'd be really spiritual, but I'm really feeling called to be an entrepreneur. 
And what the wisdom literature says is there's no distinction there that uh, one doesn't make you more spiritual than another because when you have the Holy Spirit, it is actually going to manifest itself in a rich and full humanity. And we're about to get into that when we get into Isaiah. We're going to see that this further becomes expounded upon where, you know, the whole point of God saving us is to restore us to our full human condition. That who we were designed to be, we've had that broken by what happened in the garden. We've had that marred. And that when God comes through Christ and saves us and then we are baptized in the Holy Spirit, we then have the option, become the possibility of being restored to our full humanity. Irenaeus said, the glory of God is the human person fully alive. And that's what we see in Proverbs 31. The Proverbs 31 woman is a woman who is fully alive. She is operating in all of her gifts to the full extent. That's why she is to be praised. She is the full image bearer of God as we were designed to be. So that's the wisdom books. Any thoughts or questions on, on that? Okay, no, you just gave me the look like, I think I might want to say something, so I was going to let you do that. All right, so now we're going to move to Isaiah, and Isaiah is going to give us four big traditions of the Holy Spirit. Some of them we're going to find very familiar. They're the things that the uh, Old Testament has already uh, revealed to us as uh, places that the Holy Spirit operates, and a couple of them are going to be a little bit new and what Isaiah is really about is about the lordship of God, the sovereign lordship over all things, that the whole creation is his, he is the Lord, this is his kingdom. And uh, we're going to see the Holy Spirit play a big role in that. So there's four traditions we're going to cover. Leadership. So we've already talked about the fact that, like, you know, starting with books like Judges, and then, of course, First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, the Holy Spirit is there when God wants to authenticate that he has called someone. You know, he calls Gideon. The Holy Spirit is given to Gideon to make sure everybody's clear that God's going to work through Gideon. And by the way, half the time is to make it clear to the person that they've been called to, because they're like, am I really the guy? <laughs> yes, you're the guy. Um, we're going to see that it uh, means to empower and equip the recipient for a specific task, as we've already seen. Like when Saul had to face the Ammonites, the Holy Spirit was given to him in order to do that. We're going to see the prophetic tradition continue, um, the Holy Spirit being the causal agent of the prophet, the Holy Spirit being the source of the actual message, and the Holy Spirit being the, empower me, the empowerment to deliver that message. Then we're going to cover creation, which we've talked about back in Genesis, and wisdom, which we've covered in the wisdom literature. So let's look at leadership. So Isaiah chapter 11 is a really interesting passage to think about from this perspective because God's Spirit is identified as being upon the future Davidic king. This is a famous passage for us. 
Um, if we, you know, you're you're uh, an evangelical, then a shoot will grow from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him, spirit of wisdom and understanding, a spirit of counsel and strength, a spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. His delight will be in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes. He will not execute justice by what he hears with his ears, but he will judge the poor righteously and execute justice for the oppressed of the land. He will strike the land with a scepter from his mouth, and he will kill the wicked with a command from his lips. Righteousness will be a belt around his hips. Faithfulness will be a belt around his waist. Now, what's interesting, so here we see a leader that's going to have the Spirit of the Lord upon him. But what's interesting is that here, the military power part seems to be missing. Unlike what happened in Judges and in First and Second Samuel with the kings, here his the spirit is upon him, but it's for other reasons. Unlike somebody like Samson, that the spirit comes on him and he has all this, uh, you know, physical might to go smite the enemy. In this case, that's not what's going on. It's a different thing. It's a, it's a it's a more evolved empowerment. It's empowerment at a spiritual level. It's empowerment at a moral level. The effect of his leadership is going to be good judgment. The effect of his leadership is going to be righteousness. And he's got this executive ability, but it seems like it's going to be delayed how it's executed versus this kind of immediate thing. The king here is expected to administer justice Notice what it says here, for who? The oppressed of the land. And we're going to see that in a big way in Isaiah. We're going to see that the Messiah, and then of course the Holy Spirit operating in conjunction with the Messiah, when we think about restoration, when we think about uh, the, uh, the redemption of mankind, Isaiah is going to make it very clear, this group of people is first and foremost in his thinking. He's thinking about the weak. He's thinking about those that have no one to advocate for them. He's thinking about the powerless. It says that he won't step on a bruised reed, right? The bent piece of grass, he's going to notice that little bent piece of grass and his foot won't trod there. He won't snuff out a wick that's just barely smoldering. He's not going to extinguish that little thing. He's going to reignite even that little smoldering wick. This is the nature of the justice that is coming through this spirit-empowered leader that's represented to us in Isaiah. If we look at Isaiah 42, uh, this is another example. This is my servant. I strengthen him. This is my chosen one. I delight in him. I have put my spirit on him. He will bring justice to the nations. He will not cry out or shout or make his voice heard in the streets. He will not break a bruised reed. He will not put out a smoldering wick. He will faithfully bring justice. He will not grow weak or be discouraged until he has established justice on earth. The coasts and islands will wait for his instruction. We have this piling on of this commission language. This is my servant, my chosen one. I delight in him. This is, does anybody um, feel like this represents something you may have heard in the New Testament? Well, sort of, yep. Yeah. He was reading from a scroll at one point. That's correct, exactly. And he reads that this has been fulfilled in their hearing, correct? 
Jesus does. Not now, only that, don't we hear God come and pronounce this on Jesus at his baptism? Exactly. That's the other thing I was going to mention. Is like, for instance, in Matthew, when, when John the Baptist is baptizing Jesus and he comes out, he's like, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. And then the Holy Spirit comes down upon him. So we definitely have this connection. Um, Yes. So in our last passage in chapter 11, it was talking about David, you said, right? Well, it's a future Davidic king. It's someone in the Davidic line. Okay. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. Um, This passage reveals some pretty astonishing things about the spirit-empowered leader, whoever this leader is. The first is God introduces him himself. God takes the initiative to introduce this leader to us. Not some prophet, not some human. God says, this is my guy. That's very unusual. Um, and this is, the, this is the, the passage we just mentioned, Matthew 3, 16, that God does the same thing for Christ. When Jesus was baptized, he went up immediately from the water. The heavens suddenly opened for him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming down on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. The next thing is the task of the leader is identified as bringing justice or judgment and the Torah to the far regions. Now I'm going to go back. This word right here is actually Torah in Hebrew. The coast and islands will wait for his Torah. So what's really interesting is this is not Israel. That's unusual. The God is going to use this, this leader to take justice out to other people groups, and that's going to include uh, his law, if you will. Next, the consequences of the Spirit's empowerment is quite unusual. There's no visible sign of power in this person. In fact, it says he's not going to stand in the street. He's not going to cry out. You're not even going to really be able to recognize it. This is completely different than the Holy Spirit empowerment we've seen up to this point where, you know, Saul receives the Holy Spirit and he immediately is able to go win these crazy battles or he's prophesying or the same with Gideon or the same with Samson. Uh, Instead, it's just this internal thing. And the, the crux of his empowerment seems to be that he's going to have this tenacious resoluteness about fulfilling God's mission. Whatever God's mission has been, He's going to fulfill it against all odds. And that's what the Holy Spirit's going to allow Him to do. There's a very strange reference to weakness, suggesting the power, the empowerment is to minister in weakness to the weak. And then, as I said, He will introduce God's teaching beyond Israel. And this is kind of in line with some other places that I'm skipping over, but you may have remembered there's a guy named Cyrus who was a Persian king, and he was anointed by the Holy Spirit to take God's instruction outside of the nation of Israel. Well, whoever this this leader will be, they're going to do the same thing. So um, both passages, they have this old function of the Holy Spirit that we've already seen of God authenticating, this is my leader, That's how you know because he has the Holy Spirit on him. However, they introduce this new ingredient, which is this moral and spiritual element to the empowerment. And a great deal of attention is given to the marginalized in society. Now, what is this going to have to do with us? Because when we fast forward and we think about the Holy Spirit filling us, 
and the fact that we are an extension of Christ, that we are His hands and His feet, and that Christ is being filled to accomplish these things. And then Christ says, I'm leaving so you can do what I couldn't. You're going to do greater things than me through the power of the Holy Spirit. Then it means that what we see this leader being called to do, we're being called to do. That's where the connection is going to come. Okay. Any questions or thoughts on the leadership tradition? One second. No. Go. A few slides back, it was talking about talking about David. Mm-hmm. Was that a prophecy, or was that accounting what he already knew? Yeah. So there's some debate about that. Um, I think that it's a prophecy speaking about the future uh, Messiah. But there are people who who think that it, there are people who are are less inclined to believe prophecy, and I'm not saying everybody who takes this position would say that, but people who are less inclined to believe prophecy will find ways to say that it applied to, you know, a guy who was already there. It would not be out of the character of Isaiah to say it was both. No, of course. But was Isaiah after David? Or, I mean, in the timeline? No, yeah, he was after David. He was after yeah, he was after David. This guy? Well, we, we, uh, I would tell you that I think Christ has met this criteria very clearly. Uh, we're going to get to that and when we get to the New Testament. But yes. Yeah, that's good. In case anybody forgot. That's really good. Yeah, exactly. Thanks for listening. We pray this has been edifying. If you've enjoyed the show, please give us a shout out on your favorite social media platform. Scott's username on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram is Scott Ross Online. That's Scott Ross Online, all one word. Also, please remember to go to scottrossonline.com to subscribe, catch up on past episodes, and discuss what you've learned with others. Until next time, continue to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. God bless you.